You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. The following is a recording of the Ayn Rand Institute's Philosophy for Living on Earth webinar series. Sign up to attend the next webinar live at courses.aynrand.org forward slash webinars forward slash register. Is Selfishness the Root of All Evil? By Keith Lockage. Welcome to Philosophy for Living on Earth, coming to you live from the Ayn Rand Institute in sunny Santa Ana, California. So this is our weekly webinar series exploring life's big questions and the answers to those questions coming from the ideas of Ayn Rand. I'm Keith Lockich. I'm your host this week. And our big question for today is, is selfishness the root of all evil? Now, as usual, I'm gonna present for about 15, 20 minutes, and then we're gonna open up for Q&A and discussion. Now, last week we experimented with taking live questions by having attendees turn on their microphones, and that went pretty smoothly. So we're gonna try that again this week. Um, when we get to the Q&A part, I'll say a little more about how that will work. So for now, let's jump right in. <clears throat> so, so the question is, is selfishness the root of all evil? And I think if you ask almost anyone today, their answer is gonna be, of course it is. I mean, from day one, we're told by our parents and our teachers, don't be selfish, right? If there's one thing almost everyone agrees on today, it's that you know there's 100% agreement, selfishness is bad, selfishness is the root of all evil. Now, why do we think that? Well, it's because of what we understand selfishness to mean, the way most people think about it, selfishness means concern for yourself without regard for others or at the expense of others. You know, and this is often what you see in the dictionary, right? It's concern for one's own welfare or advantage at the expense of or in disregard of others, right? Or it's, you know, caring only for oneself regardless of others. Right? This is how we think about selfishness. You know, so it's the guy who takes four slices of pizza before some people have had even one. Right? Or it's, you know, the jerk on the freeway who cuts people off, you know, so he can get where he's going marginally faster, but he puts everyone on the road at risk of a horrible accident, right? Or worse, you know, we think of a we think of a criminal like Al Capone, right? So this is you know, this is the leader of a violent gang who steals and murders, engages in bribery and extortion, right? So this is someone who's trying to enrich himself by exploiting and preying on other people. Now, if that's what selfishness means, you know, if these are the types of people to whom the concept refers, then no wonder we view it as the root of all evil. I mean, these are all pretty unsavory individuals. Now, they're not all on the same level of bad, right? Pizza guy is not exactly Al Capone. But these are all people who we view as, in some way, you know, pursuing their own advantage at the expense of others or in disregard of others. So if that's what selfishness means, then it seems reasonable to view it as something evil or as the root of all evil. But the question is, is that really what it means? Is our conventional understanding of selfishness correct, right? Is, it, is this really what the concept refers to in reality? And are those really the kinds of people that it refers to? So Ayn Rand had a provocative and radical perspective on this. In her view, our conventional understanding of what selfishness means is completely wrong, 100%. Our, our understanding of the concept the kinds of examples that we include under the concept, even those dictionary definitions, it's all totally wrong and misguided. In her view, what we need to do is to completely rethink this from the ground up. We need to reconceptualize the whole idea of selfishness and even redefine the very word. Now, why does she think this? Why does she think that our whole understanding of selfishness is, is completely wrong. Well, let's explore this. And let's start with the following observation. 
notice that there's something kind of odd about our understanding of selfishness. If you look at the sort of conventional definition, notice that it has these two parts to it, these two different components, right? Part of our understanding of selfishness is that it involves a concern for your own interests, right? It involves the pursuit of your own benefit or your own well-being. The other part is the idea that this necessarily involves a disregard for others or that it happens at the expense of others. Now, the question is, why do we include both of these parts? You know, why do we think that selfishness involves both the concern for one's own interests and a disregard for or an exploitation of others? There's a certain implication here that these have to go together, that you can only pursue your self-interest if you have no regard for other people, or worse, if you prey on other people and victimize them. In other words, there's an assumption built into our conventional understanding of selfishness that one person can only get ahead if another person loses out. You know, there's an assumption that the only kinds of relationships that are possible between people are win-lose relationships. But that seems pretty obviously wrong. I mean, we all experience win-win relationships all the time in life, right? You know, when you go buy your groceries, right? You benefit by getting the food that you need. That's, you know, it serves your interests. And the grocery store benefits by getting paid, right? That's a win-win exchange. So where's the disregard for others or the victimization of others in this, in this exchange? Or, <clears throat> you know, take a similar kind of example, but on a bigger scale. <clears throat> Let's say you invent a new product and start a company, right? So you benefit in all kinds of ways from the satisfaction of creative, productive work to the pride in building a successful company to, you know, the huge profits that hopefully you earn from this, right? But your customers benefit too, right? They wouldn't buy your product unless it provided some value to them, unless it served their interests also. They wouldn't buy your product unless it improved their lives in some way. So again, your success is based on win-win relationships with your customers. The whole phenomenon of trade in a division of labor society is based on win-win relationships, right? Two parties who trade voluntarily precisely because they each benefit, they each serve their interests. So again, where are the victims? Where's the exploitation? Where's the disregard for other people? It's it's just not true that you can only pursue your self-interest by disregarding or preying on other people. So there's something deeply wrong with taking these different ideas and packaging them together under a single concept as though they have to go together. There's something mistaken about packaging together the idea of being concerned for your own interests with this whole phenomenon of disregarding others or victimizing other people. Now, Ayn Rand had a term for this kind of mistake. She called it a package deal, right? So, you know, those all-inclusive vacations where, you know, for one price, you get the flight and the hotel and the food and drinks, that's a package deal, right? So Rand was always on the lookout for conceptual package deals. So these are concepts that package together elements that don't necessarily belong together. And in her view, our conventional understanding of selfishness is a package deal. It wrongly packages together these things that don't actually belong together. All right. So this is the first takeaway from today's presentation. Okay, this is the first point I'd like you to take away. So the, the conventional understanding of selfishness is a package deal. It's not true that self-interest requires a disregard for or a victimization of others. So it's a mistake to include them both as a package deal in our concept of selfishness. Okay, so that's point number one. Now, if it's not true that self-interest requires disregarding other people or treating them as victims to be exploited, what does it require? Well, what does it actually look like to truly be concerned with your own interest? You know, what does it actually take to achieve your own well-being and your own happiness in life? 
Now that is a huge question. I mean, that's really like the mother of all big questions, right? How do you go about achieving a life of fulfillment and happiness? I mean, that's ultimately what it means to pursue your own self-interest. It's achieving a life of fulfillment and happiness, right? Now, this is a huge subject. So, you know, in the space of a short presentation, I'm not going to be able to say a lot about that. What I do want to say is just a few things to indicate Ayn Rand's perspective on this issue. So in, in Rand's view, this is really what the whole subject of morality is all about. The whole reason we need the subject of ethics or morality is because we need guidance on how to go about pursuing our <clears throat> long range rational self-interest <clears throat> and thereby achieving happiness in life. Now, I think a lot of people think of self-interest as you know, just a matter of doing whatever you want to do or whatever you feel like doing, right? But what you want to do in any given moment might not necessarily be what you should do if you really want to achieve a life of happiness and fulfillment. So the whole purpose of morality in Ayn Rand's view is to define the standards and the principles for how to go about achieving happiness in life. Think about this, for instance, in the context of, of physical health, right? Nobody would expect that they can maintain their health by just eating whatever they wanted to and exercising only when they feel like it, right? We know that even though we might want to veg out on the couch and eat a whole box of donuts, it doesn't mean that that's a healthy thing for us to do. So we know that in medicine, there are scientific principles that can tell us what kinds of actions are good for us and what kinds of actions are bad. And if we wanna be healthy, we need to follow a definite course of action. Well, it's the same with pursuing our self-interest more broadly across all the areas of our life. Happiness doesn't come from just following our whims, right? It comes, happiness comes from the process of pursuing and achieving rational values in all the major areas of life. So that's an important point. So let me say that again. Happiness comes from the process of pursuing and achieving rational values in all the major areas of life. And the whole point of ethics is to give us guidance on how to go about doing that, just as the whole point of medicine is to give us guidance on how to stay healthy. Now, it's also true that staying healthy takes a sustained effort over time. It's not like you can just, you know, go to the gym a few times and eat a few carrots and then you're healthy for the rest of your life, right? It's something, this is something that you have to constantly attend to and maintain over your whole life. Now, again, it's the same thing with self-interest and happiness more broadly. It takes a sustained effort over time. You have to work to understand the principles involved and how to apply those principles to your life. You have to define and choose the specific values that you're going to pursue in life and, and that make your life worth living, right? And then, you know, you have to work to pursue and achieve those values over time. So there's no such thing, just like with the gym, there's no such thing as, you know, hitting the jackpot and achieving happiness once and for all, right? It's something you have to constantly attend to and sustain over time. I mean, this is part of the whole process of living your life. This is part of what life is all about. Now, this is a radically different view of what it means to be selfish, right? This is not, you know, how Al Capone lived his life, right? So again, this is part of Ayn Rand's perspective that our conventional understanding of what selfishness means is just completely wrong. You know, what it looks like and what it takes to actually pursue your own self-interest is radically different from what people typically think. Okay, so let's, so let's summarize this. This is our second takeaway. So we have our first point here um, about you know, self-interest does not require disregard for others, and it's a mistake to put them together as a package deal. What it does require, being, being properly selfish requires a sustained, principled focus on 
the challenge of defining, pursuing, and achieving your own values and long-term well-being. So this is a, it's a demanding lifelong process, but this is what leads to genuine fulfillment and happiness in life. So Ayn Rand is really redefining our whole concept of selfishness. She's saying the way everybody thinks about it is deeply mistaken. And it's mistaken in a way that actually makes it harder for us to achieve a happy, fulfilling life. Part of the reason it's so important to get our concepts and our definitions right is that the clarity of our thinking depends on it. So we think in terms of concepts, right? This is what concepts are primarily for. They're tools of cognition. You know, I think people often, um, think or assume that concepts are primarily tools of communication, right? But that's actually a secondary consequence. The, the, the main, the primary purpose of concepts is, to, is, is that there are tools of thought, okay? So we think in terms of concepts and our thinking is only going to be as clear and precise as the concepts that we use. If our concepts are mistaken and badly formed, you know, if they're full of package deals and other fallacies, then that's actually going to make it harder for us to think clearly about the important issues of life. You know, if you're trying to build a piece of furniture and all you have are broken tools, that's not going to get you very far. Well, imagine how hard it is to build a life when some of your most important conceptual tools are broken, right? That's the position all of us are in when it comes to the conventional concept of selfishness. Think about it this way. If you have a concept of selfishness that's exemplified by some criminal like Al Capone, that's going to corrupt the whole way you think about self-interest and what it means to be self-interested, right? It's going to taint the very notion of self-interest, as we've seen. And it's going to make it harder for you to think clearly about what is actually in your rational self-interest. If you're, if you're thinking about your own self-interest, is all packaged together with someone like Al Capone, it's gonna, in, it's gonna get in the way of thinking clearly about your own life and your own self-interest. So as we've just discussed, to truly achieve success and happiness in life requires that you sustain a certain mindset, right? You have to maintain <clears throat> a special mental focus on your own well-being. And this is what a proper concept of selfishness helps you to do. It's a cognitive tool that helps you to grasp and hold on to the need for that sustained principled focus on pursuing your values. So this is what the concept of selfishness does for us. This is the, how we use it as a tool. So this is a super important concept. And it's really, really important that it be properly defined and conceptualized. And you know, this is what Ayn Rand is doing when she looks at our conventional view and says, this is all wrong. This is, you, you know, this is not what it means. So what she's arguing here is that if we take a fresh look at reality, if we look at the requirements of human life, what we find is that selfishness properly understood is actually an, an important virtue in life, right? It's, it's the virtue of taking your own life and happiness seriously of assuming the responsibility for pursuing and achieving what you want out of life. So the idea that selfishness is bad, that the selfishness is the root of all evil, is exactly the opposite of the truth in her view. Okay, so that was what I had to say in answer to the question, is selfishness the root of all evil? Let's just summarize uh, the takeaways that we've covered today. So. <clears throat> So what are our takeaways? It's not true that self-interest requires disregarding others or victimizing others. So it's a mistake to include all of this as a package deal in, this, in our concept of selfishness. What being properly selfish does require is a sustained principled focus on the challenge of defining, pursuing, and achieving your own values and long-range well-being. So it's a demanding lifelong process, but this is what leads to genuine fulfillment and happiness. And the whole purpose of the concept of selfishness 
is to help us conceptualize the need to sustain this principled focus. That's why we need the concept. So far from being the root of all evil, selfishness, as Rand has, has reconceptualized it, is actually a crucially important virtue. Now, as I indicated earlier, you know, this is just a, a brief introduction to a very big subject, okay? Um, Ayn Rand, you know, had a lot to say about morality and about life and happiness and how to go about achieving it. So if you want to follow up and explore her ideas more, let me give you some suggested readings. Now, if you haven't already read them, um, I definitely recommend reading Ayn Rand's novels. Um, Especially in this context, especially I would recommend reading The Fountainhead because it's the story of an individual and, and uh, it's a, you, you get, um, it's the, it's the, what you see is the hero's struggle to go through life and achieve his own um, success and happiness. And so it really paints a picture of what it looks like to do that. And, it, and it's her first, um, her first presentation of her moral philosophy and her and a reconceptualization of these ideas. So um, if you haven't read The Fountainhead, I definitely recommend starting with that one. Now, if you're interested in um, looking at what she has to say about ethics or morality, looking for more of a nonfiction um, perspective on things, um, she has a book called The Virtue of Selfishness, right? That tells you everything right there, right? Her, in her view, selfishness is a virtue. And uh, the lead essay in that, this is a collection of essays on moral philosophy, and the lead essay is called The Objectivist Ethics. And this is a detailed elaboration of her moral philosophy. And she talks a lot about, uh, you know, the, the meaning, what selfishness really means. Now, if you were um, intrigued in today's session about some of the things that I was saying about concepts, her, Ayn Rand's perspective on concepts and definitions and is the dictionary wrong and this sort of thing. This all, this all grows out of a very deep and sophisticated theory of concepts that she had. So, um, you know, she developed uh, a whole theory of what concepts are, how we form them, how they're related to reality, what is the proper way to form definitions, right? She has a whole... Um, you know, philosophical perspective on this. She has a whole theory that she developed and she elaborates on that theory in her book, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. So if you found some of the things I was saying about concepts and package deals and that sort of thing intriguing, you can definitely check that book out. So those are some suggested readings and that brings me to the end of my uh, thing here. So in just a minute, I'm going to be joined by my colleague, Ben Bayer, who's going to help me moderate the Q&A. And let me just say a little bit about how the Q&A is going to work today. So um, I mentioned that we were, we're going to work on, uh, on taking some live questions today. So if you're, if you're watching this on Facebook, you know, go ahead and post questions in the chat. Ben is moderating the Facebook uh, comments section and um, you know, he'll pass those on to me. But if you're watching this live on Zoom, take a look at the Zoom controls and look for the button that says Q&A. Um, uh, look for the button that says Q&A. So you can post a question there and we'll add it to the queue. Ben is sort of moderating and he's gonna pick the questions that are of most general interest uh, to people. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, we're gonna to try to let people turn on their microphones and ask their questions live. So if you have a good audio setup and you would like to ask your question verbally, go ahead and post your question to the Q&A board anyway, just so we see what your question is, but let us know in your post that you would like to ask it live. You can also, if you go into the attendees panel, you can also use the hand raising feature um, and you can let us know that you'd like to ask your question live. But go ahead and post your question. Let us know if you'd like to ask it live. Use the hand raising feature if you do. Now, if we run into audio issues, we're gonna reserve the right to just turn your microphone off and take up the question ourselves. We don't wanna spend time you know, troubleshooting audio problems on this thing. But if you do wanna speak, um, you know, let us know if you'd like to speak. And if we get to your question, we'll give it a shot. Um, just a couple of uh, administrative things to do before we turn to the Q&A. 
I want to encourage you to join us all again next week, same time, same webinar series next week. So Ben is our moderator for this week. Next week, he's going to be the presenter. And the big question that he'll be discussing is, should I go by reason or by faith? So that should be a really interesting session. So be sure to tune in next week. And you can, uh, if you need to register, subscribe. Uh, we got the URL right there. Okay. If you have a big question that you would like us to take up in a future episode, let us know. We're interested in hearing what kinds of uh, questions you have. So go ahead and send those into webinars at einran.org. And uh, one last thing before we go to the Q&A. We've been doing this every week. We're trying to, um, you know, the, the goal of this series is to introduce some of Ayn Rand's ideas to people who are not already familiar with them. And we're curious to know if we're reaching our audience here. So I'm gonna put this poll up. Um, and what I want you to do is just tell me what's your familiarity with Ayn Rand? You know, I assume if you're here, you're not gonna, your answer is not gonna be Ayn who. But, um, you know, let us know what your level of familiarity with is, and that'll help us out a lot. And I'm just going to leave the poll up there uh, while we jump into the Q&A. So, uh, Ben, why don't you uh, join me here, and I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that you don't have to look at a... Uh, what do I do? Stop share. There we go. Okay. Hi, Keith. Hi, Ben. <laughs> For some reason, I, I feel like I have an urge to watch The Princess Bride and eat donuts when we're done with this, <laughs> but that might not really be in my self-interest. Well, you know, in a, in a delimited manner, don't eat the whole box of donuts and don't <laughs> binge watch it 24 times in a row. But yeah. Okay, okay so, so what uh, questions do we have? We've gotten a few that have uh, already come in uh, from uh, earlier today, and I thought it would be interesting to start out with uh, probably, well, actually, um, Skyler's question is interesting, and he's already raising his hand. So, Skyler, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the mic here. I'm gonna allow you to talk, and you should be able to speak now if you unmute yourself. Well, we can unmute you too. We can unmute you too. I, I'll do that. Uh, I was trying to do it. Skyler, do you see where you can unmute? Greetings. Hey, Skylar, how are you? I'm not unwell. How are you? Great. That's great. What's your question? I want to know if you wanted to say how uh, selfishness can mean, like, how, how people may view money. They think may think of it as a necessary evil. Is that part of the idealism that most people carry within them? That it's, oh, I'm selfish, but I have to be. Only just like I have, like, uh, for the love of money. I use I have to use money, but it's only as a necessary evil. Yeah. Okay. Good question. We're gonna we're gonna uh, mute you now and maybe uh, turn off your mic. So, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, the we 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 chose the question is selfishness the root of all evil, but it's also you know extremely common to to, to uh, frame it that money is the root of all evil. Or love of money is the root of all evil, and that's kind of an expression of of selfishness and greed. Um, you know, Ayn Rand has a similar perspective on on this question, um, and she actually has there's a there's a a, a brilliant kind of uh, speech in one of her novels where where a character talks about the issue of money and what is money is money the root of all evil, or or something else. And she actually uh, so this is in her novel Atlas Shrugged, um, and you know I mean. The, the essence of her view is that money is a medium of exchange, right? And it represents the value that we've created that we're able to trade with other people, right? So, you know, in the same way that selfishness is, 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 is a virtue, um, money and, and the, the pursuit of money represents our pursuit of pr productivity, of, of, cre of creation, and of trade uh, and, and you know, uh, trade to mutual benefit and the division of labor society. So money is another kind of symbol that's been unjustly vilified. Um, uh, and again, our whole perspective on that is that our conventional perspective about uh, money and the pursuit of profit is, is completely wrong. We need to rethink it from the ground up. 
Yeah, Keith, and I would I would add to that that I think I think that Ayn Rand would probably challenge the very idea of a necessary evil. Uh, she probably would uh, sometimes talk about the idea of choosing the lesser of two evils, but uh, even that she's skeptical about. So uh, the issue here is that um, when you hear someone say something's necessary, the question you should ask is, well, necessary for what? Uh, and if if it if you're ta what you're talking about is necessary for living, uh, well, it's her view that that's what morality is all about. Morality is a code of values to guide your choices and actions over the course of your life, so that you can live a successful, flourishing life. And if selfishness is necessary for that, in her and this is what this is something that she elaborates on in that objectivist ethics essay that you were mentioning. I mean, that's the definition of morality and couldn't possibly mean evil. It only gets the connotation of evil if you're working with that package deal understanding of selfishness that you were talking about at the beginning, uh, which she thinks can be unpackaged and uh, needs to be necessarily has to be unpackaged if you want to think clearly. Um, and that actually relates to uh, a question that also came in. Uh, re, uh, just within yeah, the last Skylar, we're gonna we're gonna uh, turn your we're gonna disable talking here so we can move on to the next person. So yeah, thanks, thanks Skylar. Good question. So uh, you did uh, spend some time talking, Keith, about uh, the example of the win-win trade and how one person's uh, self-interest doesn't have to come at the expense of another's. Um, is that always the case? So this there's an anonymous uh, person who asked a question. Would you clarify exactly how rational interests of men don't clash? For example, in uh, the case where two men are competing for the same job, if one who's slightly more qualified gets the job, it's to the detriment of the other person. A uh, person says, I agree, a merit-based system is beneficial to the other person too, but general interests are diffused while personal interests are concentrated. Thoughts on that, Keith? Yeah, I mean, um, so Ayn Rand's, Ayn Rand, um, actually has an essay on this in the book, The Virtue of Selfishness, called The Conflicts of Men's Interests. And um, she, she holds the perspective that, that uh, people's interests don't clash if they properly conceptualize and understand what their interests consist of. Now, in the case of two people competing for the same job, right, they're both interested in the job. Um, but if one person gets the job, it's not that the other person's interests have been, um, you know, sort of sacrificed to the expense of the other person. It's there's a certain way in which that job is not something that's available to the second person anymore. So what's in that person's interest is to is to look at what sort of uh, things are possible, what sort of values are out there to, to pursue. And it, it, it's, it happens all the time in life that we choose things that we go after. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. It's not a thwarting of our interests if we happen not to get the particular job that we're looking for or, or achieve some other value. It's just, that's just a step toward, you know, the process of getting the job that you do want. Or, or um, so it, th th that's not an example of, of, of clashing interests or clashing values. Um, uh, you, because you know you you have to have a perspective on you you can't claim something as a value that's outside of your control right and that and that you don't necessarily have some sort of claim to or right so you don't have a right to a job right you don't have a right to that particular job so um you know the fact that somebody else gets the job isn't a isn't a, a clash with your interests or your uh rights or something did you want to add to that, Ben? <laughs> yeah, I would just add, I mean, again, in reference to the point that I brought up about uh, Ayn Rand's view of what morality is, that it's a code of values that you need to live over the course of your life uh, in the long range. And I mean, one of the virtues that she thought was necessary uh, for living a full and happy human life is the virtue of justice, which uh, for her meant the virtue of judging objectively uh, the worth of the people and the character of the people around you. And I mean, her view was that you have an interest in justice. 
justice is a, as a, itself a guide for what it, what it is to live a happy life. And part of what that means is I mean, you have a justice and you have an interest in being treated justly. And you don't have an interest in getting a job you don't really deserve. I mean, well, think about what that would mean, just concretely speaking. It would mean that the people who've hired you have uh, decided they have two candidates. One is more qualified than the other, but they're going to hire the less qualified candidate. Well, first of all, what does that mean about the other people that you're going to be working with? Are they going to know what they're doing? Uh, is the company going to be any good at producing goods and services? Is it going to be able to survive in the long run if it's hiring people who aren't any good at what they do? Uh, how long will you be able to stay at, in, a, in a position like this? And, and furthermore, uh, what, are you, what are you telling yourself? What, uh, what are you doing to your self-esteem when you, when you tell yourself, I, I deserve to get things that I haven't actually put the work in for? You're saying... Um, I don't actually need to put any work. Um, I don't actually know how to do the work. Uh, I'm not actually able to do this. People should give me stuff for free. So it's not good for your self-esteem either, which she sees as a really intimate component of, of a happy life. And I think there's a lot more uh, that you can find by looking in that essay that you mentioned, uh, conflict of, the conflict, the so-called conflicts of men's interests and virtue of selfishness. Yeah, I mean, as I, as I said in the, in the presentation, I just sort of scratched the surface on her perspective on what it actually looks like to pursue your self-interest and pursue happiness in life, you know, she has a detailed elaboration of the kinds of principles and the kinds of virtues that it takes. You know, why, why justice, you, you, you just talked about the issue of justice, but why is it critical for someone to have integrity, you know, to, to stick to their principles, not to compromise on principle? This is one of the themes of her novel, The Fountainhead. Um, the protagonist, the hero of that novel is an architect who refuses to compromise his, his architectural principles. And early on in the novel, it seems like, is he, is he sort of a martyr to his art? Is he sacrificing his own success and, his, and money and all this, uh, living as a starving artist in effect so that he can maintain the integrity of his art? Well, she has a definite perspective on, on in what way is it in his self-interest to maintain that integrity? And, and, and you see how that plays out over the course of the novel. So again, this is just the, the tip of the iceberg of a very big subject. And, and she has a lot of really deep insights into what it takes to achieve happiness and success in life and, and, and how one person's pursuit of, of happiness doesn't conflict with other people's um, pursuit of the same. So since we've been talking about uh, how uh, selfish life relates to the life of other people, I thought I would also mention a question that came in over email uh, before uh, earlier this week. It's a question from Andrew, and it goes like this. How do the benefits of selfishness and the benefits of cooperation relate to one another? Is cooperative behavior just an extension of multi-party selfishness, working together to create beneficial outcomes for the individuals? And then I think here's the really clinch, the clincher part of the question. When, if ever, does the well-being of the group outweigh the well-being of the individual? Yeah, so the, I think the first, so part of the reason it's hard to think about a question like this is because we have so deeply ingrained to a, in us this conventional understanding of selfishness and the idea that this, which there's this implication that the only kind of relationships that people can have with each other are, are are relationships of exploitation and predation, and that's what we think about. But if you throw all that out and you look, take 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 a look, um, look at this issue from scratch. Um, what are the benefits of living in society, living with other people? And and I mean, the the obviously they're enormous, right? Um, Ayn Rand, I think, at one point said that the two major benefits are knowledge and trade, right? You can you, you know. You can't discover, you know, even a fraction of what humanity has discovered over the course of millennia, right? So, so just the fact of being in society and learning from from society and benefiting from the knowledge that other people have is, is enormous, and you know the whole phenomenon of the division of labor society is what gives rise to the standard of living that we enjoy. So the benefits of living with other people are enormous, and even just on a personal level. Uh, we all know that that some of the most important valuable experiences that we have in life 
have to do with the connections that we have with other people, with our friends, with our loved ones, with our children, right? Um, this, is, this is a huge part of what makes life meaningful and worth living, right? So if you, if you look at it from that perspective, it's the um, other people uh, forming those connections with other people and exchanging with other people, um, you know, is a huge part of what makes up your own self-interest. And, you know, this is why, you know, the, the whole phenomenon of cooperation is part of what it looks like to be selfish. Um, the, the whole idea that these are separated, it comes, again, it comes from this, from this um, false moral perspective that we have ingrained with us because of these, the way we've misconceptualized all of these ideas. Um, What was the second part about, uh, did you want to? When, if ever, does the well-being of the group outweigh the well-being of the individual? So, um, it, I, I, I would say categorically that you shouldn't think of it in terms of, in those kinds of terms, the well-being of the group versus the well-being of the individual. Um, it, there's a we can we can talk about groups and it's useful to think about them for certain purposes, but there is no well-being of the group, right? Groups are made up of individuals, and what uh, you know the primary is each individual's well-being, right? So if 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 you're in a situation where there seems to be some conflict and you're being asked to sacrifice for some collective, you know, that is a bad thing. I mean, Ayn Rand once said that the smallest minority on earth is the individual. And anyone who um, isn't a defender of individual rights is not a defender of minorities. Something like that, probably negative. <laughs> so. And what I would, I would add to that as well is that uh, one good reason to take a look at the essay, The Objectivist Ethics in The Virtue of Selfishness, is that this is where Rand explains her view uh, of what grounds the very possibility and necessity of morality and of the concept of value. And so uh, one of the things that she argues for is that to say that anything can be good for anything at all uh, presupposes that you're talking about a living organism uh, wh whose actions make a difference for whether it continues to exist or not. And if a group is not the kind of thing that can be categorized as a, as a living organism, uh, then there's really no, there's no sense to make of its good uh, over the, the good of the, its individual members. Now, I mean, you can ask, I think, interesting questions about when you're talking about other kinds of species, like to what extent are the are individual ants really just parts of a larger organism like the, the the anthill or the hive or something like that but the important thing is that human beings are not like ants or bees or coral reefs and she these are examples she gives in a variety of places uh, we're much more individuated and what what individuates us is our is our minds which we make we use to make choices that uh, put us push us on different paths from each other and what our self is, what uh, the good of which matters for our self-interest is, is the good of our mind and the good of our, our rationality, which we need to survive. And a lot of this is fleshed out in, in the objectivist ethics. Ben, I'm looking at the questions uh, myself and I wanted to take mm -hmm. up one. So um, anonymous attendee says, if Ayn Rand was coming up with a new conceptualization, why not come up with a new word for it? That's an interesting question because you, um, she'll often get that criticism, right? Everybody, you know, there, there's already a word selfishness. We already have a dictionary definition of it. Everybody understands it that way. You know, why not just accept that that's the way people think about that word and come up with a new word? Now, the problem with that, though, is that, is that the, so I mentioned in the presentation, I talked about why it is that we even need this concept of selfishness in the first place. And I, the way I was putting it is that we need to conceptualize what's required to actually be concerned with one's own interests, actually pursue one's own self-interest. Now, the problem is that the conventional um, 
the conventional concept of selfishness already has that sort of built in as part of it, right? Remember, right from the very beginning, we talked about the idea that, that our, our conception of selfishness is concern for one's own interests at the expense of others or in disregard of others. Um, so the problem is not, the, the, the problem is that the, the conception of selfishness that we need in order to serve this function of helping us to think about our life and, and guide our life is, is put together in, in this package deal. And so to correct our thinking of it, what is really needed is to take that package deal and separate it apart. So part of, part of my argument was that um, the, the conventional concept of selfishness um, conveys this implication or this assumption that the only way to pursue your self-interest is by having, these, by having this exploitation or, or disregard for others. And that's what needs to be challenged. So it's not, you can't just say, okay, this is how people think about selfishness. We're going to put that aside and come up with a new word. The problem is that the way people think about selfishness has these completely false aspects built into it. And they need to be pointed, it needs to be pointed out that it's false and it needs to be rejected as false. So, um, and, and the, the problem is what's going to happen? I mean, I, this is an example that Leonard Peikoff um, used to give when, when he was talking about this issue. So he says, fine, why don't you come up with a new word? We'll call it gloop. This is his example, right? You're going to say, I'm not, we're, not, we're not defenders of selfishness, we're defenders of gloopishness, okay? So you start to explain, well, what is glo gloopishness? Well, it means being concerned for your own interests. And then you start to elaborate. And then at a certain point, people will say, well, wait a minute. Gloopishness, that's, that just means selfishness. So you're not going to solve the problem by coming up with a new term because the things in reality that you're pointing to by means of that concept are already part of this conventional, false conventional perspective on it. And, and so it's not going to solve the problem to try to just come up with a new term. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the assumption that is behind the question that often gets asked here is that the reason that people don't like the concept of selfishness uh, in its current use is primarily because of uh, the fact that it suggests a conflict with others. I, mean, I definitely agree that's part of it. But uh, if you just redefined it to, to not include that and only to be concerned for your self-interest, uh, there'd still be plenty of objections to that in and of itself. And it's, it's the negative reputation that, uh, that uh, pursuing one's own interest has for a variety of reasons. It's that negative connotation that leads to then the assumption that there's a conflict with others. Uh, and the way that I, I've, I've uh, Greg Salmieri has made a point here that I think is, that is, is useful. And, and it, I think, describes what it was that Rand was trying to do uh, when she chose to use this word. She says, I chose to use it for the reason that frightens you. And she's trying to reclaim a word that at least at various times in the history of thinking has been defined without the package deal. She's trying to reclaim that usage because she wants to reclaim the currency of the concept. And, and, and she, a lot of people, a lot of people think of selfishness simply as concern for their own interest. It's, it's like what certain feminists do. And I don't necessarily agree with what they're trying to do with it, but they're, uh, they have these slut walks you've, you've heard about, and they, they, they claim we're sluts. And slut is a word with a negative connotation uh, because it contains a certain evaluation of sexual behavior. And I don't necessarily agree with the, sec the feminists' attempt to redefine it, but what they're doing is saying, no, we are sluts and we're proud of it. Uh, and maybe they don't redefine it in the right way. But uh, I think Rand is trying to do something similar here. And uh, I think for good reason. And I think if you, if, you just, uh, if you just gave a different word, you'd still get the same kinds of objections and you'd still get people assuming that it involved a conflict. Um, and generally, neologisms are to be avoided anyway when you're trying to communicate with people yeah. uh, because uh, you multiply concepts beyond necessity. Yeah, so you're saying sometimes the right thing to do is to is to fight for the word and to fight for a proper conception of it. Yeah, and sometimes it's not, but that's a that's a call you have to make. 
And uh, this is something that's discussed further in that uh, book that you recommended, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. Um, so I'm looking at just one other quick point on this is that, um, as I mentioned, she has a whole theory of definitions, and 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 if if the conventional definition is wrong, you know, it, it, she has a perspective that it's that it's not just that the concept is badly formed, but that it's wrong because it's not serving the role the definitions are supposed to serve. Uh, again, I don't want to I don't want to beat this to death, but but. Um, if it's if if something is you know if the scientific theory is wrong you don't say okay we'll keep that scientific theory and just come up with a new one no you have to correct it so so here's an issue that we haven't really touched on yet um, I mean we've talked about uh, why uh, properly understood selfishness doesn't come in conflict with other people <clears throat> uh, but what about ways in which being selfish uh, can actually benefit other people and Sally submitted a question just now. How can we be concerned with the welfare of those who are struggling whilst also, she's a British, whilst also being rationally selfish? So again, I think this is a, another situation where, um, actually this ties in with, a, with a, uh, another question that we have that I, I was noticing in the question board about the issue of benevolence, to, benevolence towards others, um, and how is that related to all of this? So Tim's question, yeah. Yeah, uh, Tim, that's right. I think our, I think again, our perspective on morality, um, the fr from the conventional perspective of morality, we have this view that we're all um, antagonists, you know, and that there's no, and that we're all at each other's throats. But the reality is, as I mentioned before, there's enormous benefits from being in society and being um, together with other people. And um, we, we have this perspective. So um, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, so other people are an enormous value to us, right? To, to you. And um, what, what's, what's wrong with the idea of welfare or charity as we typically con conceive of it is, is we think of it as a duty, as something that we are morally obligated to do and something that the government needs to force us to do, okay? But if we put that aside and we just think about, um, you know, if, 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 as Sally asks here, if somebody is struggling, okay, and, and you know, you can help that person with at little cost to yourself, you know, there's nothing that there's that it, it's a value to do that simply because of the of the value that other people have, um, you know, to your life. Um, it so so the attitude that we should have toward other people is not this antagonistic cutthroat kind of attitude, but an attitude of benevolence of recognizing that other people are a value. And that being with other people and, and, you know, doing things with and for other people is a part of what it looks like to be self-interested. Um, and as long as we don't, as long as we're not um, doing things out of duty or doing things at, a, at, a, at the cost of a sacrifice to ourselves, there's a, there's a value in, in um, you know, acting benevolently and, and even charitably toward other people. Yeah, and I would add that, I mean, one thing that this question didn't specify is, is who it is we're talking about who's struggling. Um, you spoke some to, I think, what you would say about if it's just some random stranger uh, who you happen to come in contact with and who you judge to, you know, actually have genuine need and hasn't gotten in trouble through their own uh, fault, et cetera. But, I mean, this description could just as easily include someone who's, who's a, a loved one or a friend. And there, I think it's especially obvious that if they're struggling, and they're your friend, and they mean something to you, and uh, you, know, you see their well-being as a component of your own happiness, uh, you have all the reason in the world uh, to help them out. And if it's then a choice between helping your struggling friend uh, versus helping some struggling stranger, then you should ignore the stranger and help your friend because they're a really important part of your life. That's you know, fortunately not always the case. You have to make that kind of choice. But um, there's a, 
there's a line, I, th I think it was in her essay or speech, Faith and Force, where she says, the question is not, should you give a dime to a beggar? The question is whether you need to buy your life dime by dime from that beggar uh, to alleviate the guilt of, of, of having been born or something to that effect. Um, so you know, that, I think at one point she said she considered charity to be a minor virtue, but, but certainly not a major one and, um, and certainly not incompatible with, with what she's talking about. Yeah, I'm going to request to share the takeaways again. So I'm just going to put the slide back up. Um, uh, let's see, we just have a few minutes here. Um, <clears throat> and there was a question from Emily asking, how does one remain self-interested when making compromises with other people? I thought that would be an interesting sure. one to take up. So, um, and uh, again, this is another one where um, Ayn Rand has a, has a very short and, and pithy essay on the question called, does, does life require, doesn't, what is it, doesn't life require compromise or does life require compromise? One of the two. <laughs> okay. So again, this is in the virtue of selfishness. And, and in that, uh, in, in discussing this issue, she makes a distinction between compromising on principle versus, you know, compromising on details or, or, uh, or, or um, you know, things that are not matters of principle. So her perspective is that you should never compromise on principle. Now, but if you're, but if you're adjusting, you know, if you're, if you're, um, making a compromise, sort of you're negotiating, um, you know, we're going to watch my movie tonight and your movie tomorrow night. You know, you're not, you're not being asked to sacrifice any kind of principle in doing that, right? That's just sort of the normal process of living with other people and, and uh, um, you know, uh, coordinating life and, 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 uh, you're kind of figuring out how to optimize you, what you're trying to pursue with your values. So, um, so you remain self-interested by never compromising your principles, but then but being willing to have give and take when it comes to things that aren't matters of principle. And I think it's important to say a little more about why why compromising on matters of principle would be. Uh, something that undercuts one's self-interest. And, and that's, I think, related to her view, uh, again, going back to the point that she thinks that selfishness is a moral way of life and that she thinks it requires a code of morality. Uh, I mentioned the virtue of justice previously. She also has a view that, that integrity is a virtue in, uh, in a happy life, that you need to be able, the point of, the point of, uh, of acquiring knowledge and the point of forming uh, an understanding of the world is to act on it. And if there's some principle, so for example, if you, uh, you believe in justice, uh, you're a judge, uh, your job is to dispense objective justice, but somebody offers you a bribe uh, and you, you say, well, just this once, I'm going to compromise on my, on my principle of justice and I'll get some money. Um, and, you know, most of the rest of the time I will make just decisions. Uh, that's a breach of integrity and it's, 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 it undercuts your self-interest because, I mean, the reason that we need to have something like a virtue of justice is because uh, we, we need to know whether the people we're dealing with are good or bad. And if there's someone who you know to be a criminal and you're letting them off in exchange for some money, uh, the money is not going to buy back what you've lost by letting a criminal out into the world. And that's something that you know, and that's part of what uh, the virtue of justice tells you. And so integrity says, stick with that knowledge that that justice, that principle gives you. And likewise, dealing with any other kinds of cases where you're tempted to compromise on a principle with other people, if uh, you, you, know, you may get some kind of uh, amicable friendship uh, relations out of uh, not causing too much of a dust up, but you know what kind of people are you now becoming friends with? If they're if they're people who want you to to violate a principle again, I don't think any of the the uh, 
you know, the, the, the knee slapping fun you get to have with these people is going to outweigh the fact that you're now being friends with somebody who wants you to, to commit some other kind of injustice. Um, you would have to, you know, you could say more about the, the example, but and the idea, the general idea there is that there's an interest you have uh, in sticking with your knowledge and in practicing it. And that derives again from Ayn Rand's view that, that self-interest is an interest of a self and a self is something that needs to be integrated. And part of what integrates it is its knowledge of various principles. And if you start to fracture yourself, like here's the, here's the things I know and here's the things I'm going to act on and they're not always the same, you lose a sense of identity, you undercut your self-esteem, and there's no longer a self whose interests are left to pursue. Okay. On that happy note, <laughs> I think we're at our time here, so we should draw a line. Let me just uh, let me just go to my final slide here. Uh, so just a reminder, next week's webinar is Ben on Should I Go by Reason or by Faith? I'll be moderating, so that should be fun. And See if you can guess my answer to that question in advance. <laughs> and uh, again, if you have any questions you want us to take up, send them to uh, webinars at einrand.org. So thank you all for coming. Uh, we're, in, we're, we're having a lot of fun putting this series on and we hope people are enjoying it as well. So send us your thoughts. Uh, who is it? Uh, is, um, yeah, we'd, like to, we'd love to hear from you and uh, we will see you again next week. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.